Cool. Uh, I don't know um, if you guys saw Becky's shoes, though, but I think if she clicked her heels a few times, she might up in Kansas. There, um, great job, you guys. You know, it is so fun to see our, our children's ministry come alive and to, be, uh, to see what's kind of, you know, give you a sense of what they might do. That's actually, um, as we talk today, it's actually, you know, what I want to talk to you about, but it's what they actually did. And, um, you know, I, I, my name is Jeff, and it is so good to be here. I, I don't know... Um, if it's your first time with us, if you haven't been here in a while, or um, if you haven't been to any church ever in your life, or you haven't been to this church in a long time, I just want to say welcome. You know, this is um, a group of people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to be honest in our following of Jesus, and none of us has got all of following Jesus figured out, and none of us has got the idea of how to live and act perfectly, and, and we're just trying to figure that out together. And if you're looking for a place where people are um, sincere and honest about their own walk with Jesus and curious about that this is what we're that's our goal and uh, we're so glad that you're here if you decide to check us out for the first time I'm very glad you're here for those of you guys are this is your home church uh, I was uh, maybe you got the the compass I don't if we mentioned the compass but you know you get a little email from me uh, you know kind of updates what's going on during the course of the week this past week I, I was up in I was up in Seattle I was looking at just visiting other churches I have friends that work in other churches and you know one of the best things is to see the the capital C church the everybody who follows Jesus church uh, you know, sort of express in different ways in different locations. So I went up to talk to them and see what they're doing and get some learnings. And um, by the way, I should tell you this. Of the churches that I visited, none of them have a fifth wall in their room. So I just want to let you guys know. <laughs> We're awesome. Okay. Um, but uh, as I'm there, you know, I, I learned a bunch. And I got, you know, great encouragement. And I got great challenge. I got things to think about for us. I was away. And I was praying for you guys. I was writing even the next series that's coming up in in September, and, um, but I just have to tell you, I do not like traveling very much, and we're, you know, we're coming back from Seattle to, uh, to get on the plane, we're super late, we have to run, I have to do the, I'm sorry, our plane, our, our plane board's in five minutes, can I jump in front of you guys in line security, and we're running through, and of course, Amanda uh, had got some really cute jelly jars from someplace that she didn't, like, put in a plastic bag, and so they had to search our bags and do the special screening, and we're like, oh my gosh, we're running in, Run, and we're running to all the way to the plane, totally sweaty, sit down, and there's a, uh, there, I'm sitting next to this guy, they separated, we're like, are you guys the Maguires? We're like, yes, we are, you've heard of us. They're like, yeah, we almost left without you guys. We separated you guys, and, you know, we'll just, hopefully you guys can get on the plane. And I'm like, okay, great. So we sit down, and there's a, you know, you know the unwritten rule, like, when you're flying is, you have the space directly in front of you like your feet can go there and if anybody tries to put their feet on the outside of that space it's like who invited you over I mean it's like <laughs> are we neighbors now or what are you hanging out in my house or why don't you come into my fridge too can I get you anything so I'm sitting next to this guy and because you're in the airport and because you don't want to deal with shoes you have you're wearing flip-flops whatever and I've got I've kind of got the barefoot thing going you know like there I am and there's this dude who's got he's got the same thing barefoot and he keeps putting his feet over into my area and I keep bumping it like our bare feet keep bumping into each other and it was like <laughs> kind of doing the I'm trying to give him the, like ah you don't get both arm I'm in the middle seat because of course I you know we, we showed up too late they gave away our seat so I'm like I got both he, I'm like you don't get both armrests and my foot space get your gross fungus out of my space anyway uh so that was our story I had no real point to that story I just wanted you to know that the, the things I go through uh for us uh but anyway I just I heard great stuff as I was gone <laughs> I heard so much great feedback from last week about Mike. I heard about um, just people coming forward and really kind of coming to grips with what the cross actually meant. It's sort of weird as we talk about this Bible series, we're in the midst of, you know, what would, would have been, you know, three weeks ago we had, we had Christmas, and so we sang a Christmas carol, and then, and then we had, you know, uh, the, the Good Friday last week, and, you know, that's, you know, it was all of this kind of stuff, and so now we get to have Easter in August, and um, I think it's incredibly appropriate for so many of us, the 
the, the story of the Bible kind of gets washed away a little bit as we kind of get into some of those seasons which are heavily marketed, and no one's talking about Easter or Christmas in July and August. So that's pretty awesome. I think it's, it gives us a sense of what it looks like to really take a, a, a step back at the Bible and look at the stories, not just sort of lost in a sort of marketing world, but to just kind of go, what does the Christmas in July look like? I, I want to tell you, too, as I was, um, as I was thinking about stuff, by the way, you, you came in today and you got a super awesome pen. And I just want you to notice this. This is yours to keep. You may enjoy this pen. You may do this for a few minutes till the person next to you tells you to stop. But this, uh, this pen, on it, I just want you to take it out. Just say, it says Neighbor Day on there, Neighbor Day 2013. And I want to give you a sense. You've heard about this. You've seen perhaps some of the picture frames around that say the words Neighbor Day. And here's what I want you to know. I, I firmly believe one of the best things we can do, I was talking actually to a buddy of mine last night. One of the best things we can do as a church is to be people who not only throw better parties than, I mean, we, I, I want us to be known, Christians ought to be known as people who throw the greatest parties. But I want us to be known as people who also include people in their lives. That one of the things that sort of Christians are known for is that we're kind of isolationist. We live in a fortress. Ours has five walls. It's well protected. But we live in a fortress and people, they can come in so long as they're kind of like us. But I just want us to think what it would look like to be as a community saying, I want to include you, neighbors, friends, and asking you the question, if you don't already have plans, I just want you to be able to come with us and join my family. Now, I don't, my expectation is, just to give you a sense, my expectation is that you include people in your life who aren't yet included in your life. And I don't expect you to, like, hold a prayer vigil in the middle of whatever you're doing. You know, like, we were going to have a softball game, but I felt like first we should just open our Bibles and just pray. And everybody, you know, like, wait, this is weird. Don't be weird. Just hang out with people. Be a regular person. Don't make it a, you know, a special Bible camp. Just hang out. And be with people in your neighborhood such that they go, these people are normal people. That's it. That's the, that's the only expectation. Now, I'll give you a sense of what I, what I like, how, this, why this is passionate for me. And I want to show you just really quickly. Like, own, do you have that picture, Mikey, I sent you earlier of... Um, just my neighbor. Okay, so this is hard to tell. This is an Instagram picture I took. So this is, I borrowed the church's overhead, like, projector, the video projector. And I'm showing right there on my garage uh, is Kung Fu Panda 2. So what we did is I just, we put this thing on. We invited a bunch of the neighbor. We just said, hey, we're showing this movie in our alley. And people started showing up. You can't really tell. There's, there's a crowd going backwards this way. But there's, like, all these kids there. We, and we put out all this popcorn. And a guy who lives down the street who's, uh, um, he's the live-in uh, you know, help guy for a, a World War II vet who lives on our street. He brought his kid. He's like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, we're just watching a movie. Do you guys want to watch? And so he's like, yeah. And his three-year-old daughter just walks right into my house. And she goes, where's the food? And I was like, we're bringing it out. Get out of here. You know, like, no. So we brought out all this popcorn. Some other parents came out. People were hanging out. And we did, all we did was just, we just put on a movie. And we got some, you know, I borrowed some speakers and was able to, like, make it loud enough to bother neighbors. It was great. And people came out. And we hung out, and there was like, that was it. And it was like, this is so fun. And people were like, when are you guys going to do this again? I was like, I don't know. We just thought it would be a good idea. Here's the thing. People are longing to be included. People you don't know who you kind of know, the neighbors who you're nice to, but you wave to, and they bring their trash out. Like, hey, there's my neighbor. I love that guy. We wave at each other every time we bring the trash out. Okay, but he doesn't talk to me. You know, and then you push that. Here's what I want you to Hey, if you don't have plans, we're going to be doing this. And I want you to think really seriously about that. And you saw, you know, a little bit last week, kind of some of the ideas, suggestions. We're going to keep coming back at this. Labor Day is Neighbor Day. I want you to include your friends and neighbors in your own life. You don't have to be weird. If you have poor people skills or, you know, you're a weird person, just go, you know, I don't need to include anybody this year. It's fine. I can just kind of take a break. And I'll just hang out. But if you're a normal person, include people in your life because that's what Christians should be about is including people who would otherwise not be included. Are we clear? Good. Okay. I can, again, feel the enthusiasm. It's just overwhelming. This is great. Okay. We're going to come back at this uh, in subsequent weeks. Okay. We're in the Bible series. We're at Easter. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have, um, you have come to us.
that you call us by name and that you love us. Father, we are a group of people who admittedly don't have our act all together, who don't have everything all in the right places, that we are um, at times falling apart. At times we're in need of real rescue. At times we're in need of real compassion. We're in in need of of real help. And we're in need of each other. Jesus, as we think about um, our own lives, as we think about our own need for a community of people that um, is willing to stand with, to stand next to, to uphold, and to speak truth, into our own lives. Father, I pray that that would be made known to us. I pray that you would speak truth into our lives today. I pray that we'd be encouraged to know and realize that you are are in a relentless pursuit of us and that your love knows no bounds. Jesus, today we pray that there would be victory and newness and a freshness of life and a wholeness that would be brought to us. Jesus, we believe that you can make even dead things new and alive and brought back to a brand new and fresher fuller life. Jesus, for a moment, we pause to honor you in just a moment of silence and stillness, which is so rare in our lives that you might, in whatever words that you might choose to use, however you might speak, even words that are beyond words in the stillness of our heart, we ask that you would speak to us. We might hear your voice and the truth of what you might reveal to us. Father, it's in your name, the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Um, if you want to um, follow along, you can follow along in your outline, which, you know, you have in your bulletin. We're going to be, if you want to follow along in your Bible, be primarily in John chapter 20. We're going to do a little bit, kind of jumping around, but primarily in John chapter 20. If you don't have any of that stuff, you don't know that, you just look on the screen. Everything you need can be provided. You know, I encourage you, now that you have a free pen, write some stuff down, scribble notes, whatever it is that you want to do. Those of you who forgot it, just, you know, whatever. Keep your pen, but, you know, use it today. Um, so that's where we'll be. Let me ask you real quickly. What do, the, uh, what do the following things all have in common? Here they are. Ready? Shaquille O'Neal, cell phones, Netflix, and TiVo, or DVR. They're unpopular, yes. They're all game changers. The way in which the world functions, the way in which the NBA worked with Shaquille O'Neal, some of you guys you know, watch basketball, when Shaquille O'Neal came into the league, there was a rule against something called zone defense. So those of you guys who know basketball know what zone defense is. But Shaquille O'Neal was so awesome that there was no way people could guard him one-on-one, so the league was like, maybe we have to amend this rule because the guy was racking up massive amounts of points and no one could stop him. So they had to make a new, the game literally changed with Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, I, you know, and I, I, for me, like talking about like Netflix, in our, in our own house, uh, it is like if I have to get up off of like wherever I am to go find a DVD to put it in the DVD player, I'm like, forget it. We might even own the DVD. I'm like, I'm not going to the DVD player. I'm, I, if it's not on Netflix, it might as well not exist in our house. You know what I mean? For us, it definitely has changed my own life. Like, it's like we're not doing anything unless I can just scroll through a menu and just sit there. This is the only effort I want to put into finding a, like a show, right? Uh, I was thinking, too, like, have you guys, it, you know, since the, the, the advent of TiVo and the DVR and all that stuff, it is like it, the, the world's most painful experience is trying to watch live television and have to watch commercials. <laughs> have you guys, and even with your own, like, your own kids look at you like, why are we watching the commercials? And I'm like, I, I'm trying. I can't do anything else. I don't, I don't know. What do we do? Kids, build a bunker. Let's build a fort in case everything goes else goes wrong. You know, like, what else is going on here? I don't know. I have to watch a commercial. And why, is there, why are there so many of them? And, you know, you can't just skip through them. 
And now, I mean, it, it's like this has literally changed the way we all watch television, think about television. When people have shows that they haven't recorded, like come over and watch it. You're like, you like put it on pause for half an hour before you watch it so you don't have to deal with the commercials. I don't know, you guys hang out for a little bit, talk, and we can skip through. And it's finally, if you catch up, it's like the worst thing in the world. You're watching the little like dot catch up to the end of the green bar or whatever, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> we're gonna have to start watching commercials. Like it just, you just feel the intensity of these moments. Now, that has changed the game for so many ways. It's changed the way we, the way we watch television. It's changed the way that, you know, people enjoy, like, advertisers are like, what do we do? I mean, how do we do more product placement? I mean, it's so pathetic when you see, a, like, a TV show where they, it's so obvious. Like, it's not like just in the background something. It's like, what do we do? I don't know. Use my Sprint mobile phone to be able to call people. Using the, you know, wireless network. And they kind of, like, do It's, like, so obvious. But the game has changed because people don't watch commercials anymore. I mean, I remember, some of you remember the life before, you, before cell phone technology, before even, you know, even, I'm not talking about smartphones, I'm just talking about having a phone in your pocket. I mean, that was like such a weird, I mean, if you ever have left a phone in your house before you drove away, to drive away in the car, you feel like you might as well be naked. Like, oh my gosh, this is the, do people know what happens if I get a flat tire? I'll probably die. There'll probably be a tornado. There'll probably be a volcano that sprouts up and I'll just, it'll, I'll just get absorbed into the flaming caldera and die. And I won't be able to call anybody. I mean, the catastrophe we kind of give ourselves, we don't have a cell phone. Everything has changed. How do we live without these things? Because everything that once was is now totally different. It's possible when we read the Bible. It's possible, as we talked today. It's possible to read, because people do that. It's possible to read the Bible as simply a gathering of moral codes, uh, uh, some sort of a law book. It's possible to read the Bible as just kind of an explanation of private spirituality that an individual has. It's possible to do these things, except for one thing. There's a game changer in the middle of that story. This one thing so critical. I mean, it's so earth-shattering that it literally rewrote history and it changed the game. I mean, you have to look at, for instance, you have to look at the disciples' movement, these, these 12 guys. I mean, why are we still talking about them, their movement, and their leader? I mean, these are guys who are poor fishermen and farmers. They're corrupt government officials and they're, uh, they're betrayers and zealots. I mean, why are we talking about these guys and their movement? Because something happened in the middle of their following of this person of Jesus of Nazareth that was a game changer. We're going to talk a little bit more about this event specifically I'm about to talk about next week. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter's addressing a crowd of people. They've just witnessed something kind of amazing that God has done. And they're all kind of like, what is going on? In fact, the response is very from, this is awesome too. These people are all crazy, which is generally how Christians get perceived. Anyways, these people, this is awesome or this is crazy. And Peter then looks at this crowd. This is, you know, Peter, the, the kind of the second lieutenant to Jesus of the disciples. He then looks at this crowd of people. This is after Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he looks at this crowd of people and he says this. This is Acts chapter, chapter 2, 22 to 23. says this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, so far what Peter said to this crowd of people is everything that's verified. I mean, people, when you look at his, when historians look at the life of Jesus and his followers, they say these things about Jesus. There was this guy from this area who traveled around performing signs and wonders and miracles and preaching and teaching about something called the kingdom of God. And he was put to death on a Roman cross. Everybody, historians are universal in their agreement about that. But something 
changed the game. None of this is a game changer. Because there were other people who, who were, to whom there were attributed miracles. They did kind of wonderful things. People were like, that's amazing. These guys could do this stuff. There, there is that other factor in history of these people doing these things. None of these things are the game changer until you get to verse 24. He says this. But God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised Jesus from the so that everybody's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus did some miracles. We know we heard about that, and he you know, did some signs and wonders. Mm-hmm, got that, check, we got all that stuff. But then, you guys put him to that, but, but God raised him from the dead, and death could not keep its hold on him. That's different. Now all of a sudden, the game has changed. The disciples not only believe Jesus performed miracles, they believe that this miracle person who also talked about this thing called the kingdom of God, or as Matthew describes it, the kingdom of heaven, but he also was raised from the dead. The disciples at the very least believed that this person, Jesus, their guy who they followed, was no longer dead. And the game has now changed. See, there's an old game. The old game went a little bit like this. Between the years of about 50 B.C., until 50 AD, so in that 100-year span, abruptly, there's about 10 to 12 guys who uh, all claim to be God's chosen rescuer for the people of Israel and the whole world. These people are called messiahs. Now, the way Rome dealt with these people, by the way, I should say this, Rome is very successful in dealing with these people, but these people are always political, uh, they're always anti-Rome, and they're almost always, but not always, they're like generally violent. And the way Rome plays the game very successfully is this. They would have a public execution of this anti-Rome political leader. Everyone would see it. And then they would just watch the group dissolve. In other words, everybody knew in the ancient world, everybody knew that a crucified Messiah was a failed Messiah. Everybody knew. It's the way Rome played the game. Hey, there's people trying to tell us that we should get out of here and that they're going to try and raise up to get rid of them. And they would watch in every instance all of the followers dissipate. They'd watch the movement cease. And there's only one instance where a crucified Messiah did not end the movement to which he was connected. And that is in the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Regardless, those of you who are just checking church out, regardless of what you think about the resurrection, when you look just just for a moment on the notion that all of the way that the game had been played had always been successful until you get to the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. There is something to be said about that. The church grew and expanded in a way that it had never grown when Jesus was walking around in his earthly ministry, and yet there's somehow another, when he rises from the dead, all of a sudden it explodes. Game changer. Something is going on in this sort of story. Now, there's no precedent for this. It's not like this history of the world's dotted with people who have died and then come back to life. Greek mythology has, you know, gods, you know, dying and rising every season, but nobody has a story of just a guy, a a, a teacher that they knew, who they walked around with, who died and rose again. Whatever happened here, the disciples believed it and they were willing to die for it, and historians all agreed this is a game changer. Now, I want to give you the account, at least John's version of the account, of what happens at the resurrection, the empty tomb. This is John chapter 20. We'll take a look at this. Um, John's one of the uh, original disciples. He's one of the guys who hung out with Jesus. He's, you know, generally regarded as the youngest of all the disciples because he, you know, he died, you know, pretty late. But here's this, his account of the story. 
John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, when you look at this, there's a couple things you got to know. In the, hist- in the story of, of, of the crucifixion, Jesus' public execution, you have this very clear darkness that's over the land. The, the gospel, other gospels account for it being this, uh, that there was three hours of darkness, extended darkness. And when you look at the history and the story of the Bible, whenever God tends to show up in powerful ways that, you know, he's already present, but the way in which God reveals himself is in the dawn. It's in the morning. You see, the Psalms write about um, that God's love would be revealed or shown or demonstrated or his power shown in the morning. It's night now, but the morning is coming. Now, the list, look at the way this is written. On the, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, there is this sense then that it's just, a, day is about to break through. Now, she's going to the tomb, and they mentioned that the stone had been rolled away. Uh, Matthew's account of the, of the crucifixion has that the, there was a lot of panic about whether or not, you know, Jesus' body was going to get stolen. He kept talking, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are like, hey, he kept saying that he's going to rise from the dead. We got to put a guard there. And we got to put a stone there, and we got to make sure nobody can get in there. And so Rome's like, okay, we'll do that. And they put a guard there. And there's this, there's this fear and panic about, from the Roman government, like, well, okay, we just got to make sure nobody messes with Jesus' body. So Mary's running out there, and the stone had been rolled away. Now, listen to this. John, by the way, like I said, he's the youngest, he's the youngest of all of the disciples. And whenever he refers to himself in this veiled way in the Bible, he always refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. Like, it doesn't say John often, it just says, oh, and the one Jesus loved, which is kind of like, okay. Like, really, you can call yourself something else, just the youngest of the disciples, or John, and it, it, no, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, listen to this, this is a little funny to me, okay. Uh, verse, uh, verse two. So she came running down to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, <laughs> it's always funny to me, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Now, you get the sense here. This isn't like, hooray, let's have a parade. The body's gone. He must be risen. There's this sense of, now even though Jesus throughout his ministry is telling the people, hey guys, I'm going to die and then rise again. Oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's great. He's been telling them a bunch of times. But they, she gets there and she's like, oh my gosh, panic. We don't know what the body is. The stone's rolled away. What in the world is going on? And she goes to tell these two guys. And what, the reason why she's going to the tomb, there's no like formal embalming procedure in this time and place in the world. So what they would do is they would go and just put oil and spices on a body so that it would just mask the stink. That's all. The, and she's trying to dignify his death, and she's had to wait a little while because she couldn't go on the Sabbath. So she's waiting until she can go to go and dignify his own death, which is to put spices and oil on his body, hoping, of course, that the stone would be, you know, like she somehow get access. What Mark's account has them going like, well, how are we going to get in there? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Like they don't, haven't thought through everything, but they just want to dignify his own death. So there's a new dawn breaking. Simon, uh, Peter, Simon Peter, and, and John are walking up to the, the, the tomb. And, and Mary's like, something's happening. we got to go check this out. Verse 3, here's what happens. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now stop right here. I have to tell you, the fourth verse of chapter 20, I have no idea why it's in the Bible. Look what it says. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> just, I just want everybody to know. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, and I'm faster than the old guy Peter. (laughs) I don't know why that's in there. There's probably a real scholarly reason why that's been pointed out. I could not find it. I just know that he just wanted everybody to know throughout history, I'm faster than Peter. Right? That's all it is. (laughs) 
Verse, okay, sorry. Got a little carried away. Okay. Uh, verse 5. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So, while John may be faster, he's a little afraid of the empty tomb. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw, he saw the strips of linen lying there. Remember, Jesus was crucified. He was brought down from the cross. He's wrapped in linen. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, again, just so we're all clear, who reached the tomb first. Also, because he could have gone in first, he just decided not to. Uh, but also went inside, he saw and believed. So there's something then that's going on. Now notice it doesn't say that Peter believed yet. This is that, actually, you see that in the next chapter of the book of John. It's actually a pretty, pretty cool story. It says that the younger, faster, <laughs> more lovable, more handsome, evidently, you know, disciple went in there and he saw that there was an empty tomb and that there were strips of linen lying there. And he went, I believe. Jesus has done something that has changed the game. He did what he said he was going to do, and it actually has happened in our midst. Verse 9. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You get this sense. You know, Mark 8's the best example of this. Where Jesus tells the disciples, hey, the Son of Man's going to be crucified, uh, put to death, and three days later he'll rise from the cross. And they're like, Yes, but can we, be, can we be with you when you come into your kingdom? I mean, they just never get this. And there's this sense there. They go and see. Mary's told, Mary's told them that the tomb's empty. They go and see it. They look in there. Wow, he's not there. And then they're like, well, I guess we just go back to what we were doing. In fact, the next chapter has them just going fishing, back to what their, their jobs were. Peter and his brother are out there fishing. This is just kind of what they do. They, it's what they were doing when they first got called by Jesus, so they're out fishing again. They're just like, why... Why does it matter? Why does the resurrection of Jesus really matter? They don't even know it. They've been with Jesus, they've walked with him, and they just kind of go back to their life. Like, well, that's great. He's not in the tomb. When I was, uh, when I was as a kid, I started going to church when I was, I think, in seventh grade. And I remember hearing and understanding some of the youth pastor getting up there and saying, you know, hey, Jesus died for your sins. And I'm like, what? How? Well, you know, he just he he died for your sins, so you 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 know you could be with him forever. I was like, I, I get that there's a guy who died in the name of Jesus. I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's tragic that he died this way. He's an innocent guy who got killed on a cross. I get that's that's sad. I just don't get the mechanism, which we talked about last week with Mike. I encourage you to listen to it on the podcast. But we didn't get the mechanism of how that's supposed to happen. I mean, how is that supposed to? I don't get all that stuff. And then, even more confusing was, and then he rose again from the grave. That is so good for him. I don't really get why that matters to me. I didn't really understand. And I was like, you know, there's, so there's this guy who's innocent, he's killed on this cross, and then he's raised to life again. That is so wonderful for that. He must be so happy for himself. And I never could figure out, I know some of you are like, can you really say that? I just never understood it. You know, it took me a lot longer. I mean, really, through high school, I was like, i got to figure this out. And what you get, and I'm really simplifying here, is that upon himself, Jesus absorbed onto himself all the powers of sin and evil and put them to death. And there's a lot of explanation. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to check it out. And that his resurrection then meant something for everybody else. The disciples don't get it either. They don't understand it. See, the idea of resurrection in the first century was kind of a unique deal. Not everybody believed in it. Not even all of the, the like, 
Jewish groups that were kind of in power in that time were kind of the, the big chunks of people. Not everyone believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did. And that was probably the pretty popular belief. And here's what they believed about the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead would be at the end of time, like that would be the end of this era, the, you know, the end of the world now. There's now a world to come. And that would initiate the world to come. And the world we know now would end. And we'd know it would end because all the righteous people would be resurrected from the dead. And it was not to be just one person. It was going to be all these people. So when you have then, you have Jesus resurrected from the dead. The disciples were not prepared for one guy in the middle of time to be risen from the dead. They did not know what to do with that. I mean, what, what does this all mean? You know, this, this, the, what they kind of arrive at is this, essentially, it's one way to say it is, that God's future was arriving in their present. And it wasn't yet fully happening, but there's a part of what's going on that God's present, his intended, his intended future was arriving in the present. And Jesus signaled the beginning of something that was to come. So they begin to get this sense, like, well, there's something else that's going to happen here. You see, for these guys, the people who follow Jesus, they believe something other than that Jesus was a path to a new spirituality. They didn't just simply believe that Jesus was sort of this, giving them a manual for how to, like, live as nicer people. Because you don't need the resurrection for that. In fact, it doesn't matter at all. What these guys believed was that their faith, the same faith that we now talk about, is a supernatural faith. That there are spiritual, supernatural dimensions that are, being un, that are unfolding for us and in us and through us. And that this resurrection itself is transformational and powerful. The disciples talk about the resurrection as giving them not only hope for a future, but power to live differently in the present. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, this is verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, this is writing to the church in Ephesus, may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The disciples believe and understand that the way Jesus is moving and all of the way in which he's, he's kind of, whatever the resurrection accomplished is that it accomplished power. Here's how. Verse 19. That same power, that that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. The followers of Jesus believe there is incomparably great power, a resurrection power, for them in the present right now. So not only are they anticipating a life of of resurrection with Jesus, but in the present life they're going, we get God's power right now. A resurrection power. Last night I'm um, talking with two of my buddies. One of them's having a really, really tough time in his marriage. And we're talking and we're kind of, you know, all the three of us are sitting there together and... um, this is, this is, we talked until about midnight last night. And we're sitting there together talking to each other. And um, um, my, my buddy who's got his, you know, his marriage is in trouble, we're, we're talking. And I go, uh, I go, I've been thinking about you a lot. I go, you're, I've been praying for you this whole week. I was standing in front of our, wow, I'm emotional. Standing in front of a, a group of our teachers from all the Mariners campuses. And I was telling them about this message. And I said, my buddy, 
this marriage is in real trouble. And I said, uh, you know, he needs, he needs a resurrected marriage. He needs, he needs a power in his marriage that he doesn't yet have and he's not utilizing, that he doesn't see. He has access to it and he's not utilizing it. And I'm just broken up. And I'm, tell, I'm actually telling him the story. I'm like, hey, I was talking about you, you know, to some people. I was, you know, I, I just, I want you to know how much I'm, I'm, I'm battling for you in this. And I think for the most of us in our lives, we're happy to have a resuscitated life. But what we're talking about here is a resurrection kind of life, a resurrected kind of life. You see, in resuscitation, it just for to use an example, suppose, by, suppose for, for a moment that someone wants to have a heart attack and they're revived because of, car, because of CPR. They're revived, they're resuscitated back to life, but the conditions that set up that heart attack are still present in their life. And it's wonderful that they've been resuscitated, but all of whatever it is that would have contributed to them having a heart attack are still present there. And most of us are longing just merely to have a resuscitated life. I just want to keep limping along. But I told my buddy, I'm like, no, no, no can't just get you back to where you were because there were conditions that set up the situation that you're in now. You need a resurrected marriage, not a resuscitated one. The followers of Jesus believe that the power that's available to them is the same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Most of us just want a little bit of a, I just want to keep breathing. That's not the life God wants for any of us. This is why the resurrection matters. That's why the resurrection matters. You see, Jesus wasn't merely resuscitated. Here's what it says later on in, in, in John, verse 19, it says this. Uh, John 20, 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now you have to imagine, they're... No one, it doesn't say that the doors were unlocked. It just says that Jesus appeared there. And then, of course, he shouted the exclamation point, which there's no punctuation in the Greek. You can only get this from the, from the context. But evidently, he shows up, and they're all, like, sad and kind of huddled together. And he just goes, peace be with you. You know, like, angels and Jesus, they all kind of scare everybody every time they show up, you know. Whoa. And so there they are, and they all look at him, and they're like, Wait, what? You know, they can't believe what's going on. And then it says this, verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. His hands where he had the nails go through and the side where he got stabbed by a spear on, on the cross. He shows them. He's like, look, you guys, it's me. See that right there? And you guys need to see the scar. You know, like he's showing them everything that's going on there. Now, here's what you have to catch. Jesus is clear. It's almost like the disciples don't know how to describe Jesus after he's resurrected. He's clearly him, but he's doing things that are like, just a resuscitated body could never do. He's showing up behind locked doors and then disappearing through. The, I mean, it's like, well, who, how is this going? They don't even know how to describe him. That's a resurrected body. And what's interesting is it still shows the scars of his old life. Those things are still present, which means the resurrected body doesn't mean the absence of pain. It doesn't mean it's the absence, uh, or the resurrected doesn't mean the absence of pain in the previous story. It, doesn't, it, it just means that all of what was, once was now is made into a glorious new purpose. See, most of us are longing for resuscitation, and what we need is the victory of a resurrection in our own lives. What is it for you? 
You look at your own life and you go, my gosh, all I've been longing for is just a resuscitation, but I need, I need, a resur- I need something to be resurrected in my own life because I'm holding on to just barely getting through the next day. This is why the church has celebrated its gathering time on Sunday morning because it's a day in which the new dawn is breaking forward. It's a day in which we talk about the victory of Christ, not the escape, not the escape from pain, not the escape from this world, but the victory of Christ in this world, which is power to live. It doesn't mean the absence of struggle or pain or conflict, but it does mean that there is a way we get to be victorious because that power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. Our faith is not just about how we follow a really nice teacher and are nice to old people and do whatever else. No, no, no. Our faith is about a supernatural sort of interaction with Jesus who is giving to us power to live. Wrapping up this conversation with these guys, we talked about a lot of stuff. And one guy goes, he goes, I just, I can't figure it out. We're talking about church stuff now. And he goes, I can't figure it out. He goes, we have the same, we, we, he's just saying, just like, we, we have the same power that like created all of the cosmos and raised Jesus from the dead. And he goes, why are we so boring? <laughs> and I go, I don't know. He goes, but every, we, I mean, every Sunday should be about victory and it should be about overcoming. And I go, I know. He goes, why are we so boring? I don't know. I go, no, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to say this right here. You got to come to my church. <laughs> we kind of get it. People are willing to celebrate what God's doing, and it's not the denial of pain, it's the celebration that God is still at work in us, and he's not done, that God's future is showing itself up right now in the present. And we get to say, there's God's future, and it's presently being revealed. And we can live in anticipation of that future right now. Would you do this? Would you close your eyes for a moment? And I just want to ask you to do this, too, just for a moment. Where is it in your life where you go, and this is merely my own, I'm just looking for some resuscitation, but what I really am in need of is God's resurrection power in my life, something to be made new, not just brought back to the way that it once was before the crisis hit. Where is it for you? Just in the, in the stillness of this moment, and, and, in, and in some way it's sort of a courageous declaration of God's victory in our midst. Just if you're someone who goes, I'm willing to stand up, here's what I want you to do. Everybody's eyes are kind of closed. Stand up and say, I need God's resurrection power in my life. Would you just stand where you are? And if there's someone who's, you can sense someone standing up next to you, all I want you to do is this. You don't have to do anything except let them know they're not alone. You can put a hand on a hand, a hand on a shoulder with some people stand with them to just go, okay, you're not alone. No, if you just hear someone standing up next to you, would you just let them know they're not alone? Some of the folks are standing. Just make sure you put a hand on them, folks, if you're around them. Go ahead and just let them know they're not alone. There you go. Some of you might need to get up and move over, make sure someone's not standing by themselves. All these people are saying is, I don't just want to be resuscitated. I need new and fresh and whole life. I see some folks still standing. They don't have people kind of letting them know they're not alone. Jesus, you see your own people in this room. And to varying degrees, 
we have either walked through or are walking through deep pain that's in need, not of resuscitation, but of your resurrection power in our lives. So Jesus, we declare and we seek and we long for your power in our midst. That the things in us that need to be changed would be changed, not because of our effort or the force of our will, but Father, because you work supernaturally in us through the power of your Holy Spirit that we might be changed. We are grateful that you grant to us power and you don't simply give to us demands, you give to us a means with your power that we might be changed. Father, we give to you a time where we respond and we sing together. We put our own prayers to music and we sing them together back to you. And in so doing, we declare that you are victorious and powerful. Some of us will need to come forward and write down even our prayers and place them in the prayer walls and active responses we've been doing over the past couple of weeks. Father, would you hear our prayers as we, as we seek you and we seek your victory in our own lives. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. It's in your hope and the power of your resurrection that we declare victory over the powers that would otherwise undo us. It's in your name, Father, we pray. Amen.